Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Rallying in front of the White House this week, faith leaders from around the country handed down what they called a moral indictment against the Trump administration for a range of wrongs, from denying health care to millions to ripping migrant children from their parents. Mr. President, you are a symptom of the sickness festering in this land. Growing white nationalism, the never-not-right covenant. We cannot build a healthy nation on broken bones. And in what some analysts are calling a suspicious provocation for war, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo blames Iran for attacking two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman. He's on the verge of perhaps the mother of all wars with a conflict with Iran, a nation of about 80 million people, about the same population size as Germany with allies in Yemen, in Lebanon, in Syria. And this, of course, could portend disaster, not only for Iran, but I'm afraid to say for the United States of America as well. These stories and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Trump administration officials immediately blamed Iran for two reported attacks on oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman on Thursday, but Iran disputed it had anything to do with the attacks, which ignited a Japanese-owned tanker. Meanwhile, peace activists and other observers are calling the alleged attack the Persian Gulf of Tonkin, referring to the falsified incident that the Johnson administration used in 1964 to ramp up the Vietnam War. Jamal Abdi, president of the National Iranian American Council, said in a statement, quote, With John Bolton seeking to maneuver the U.S. into a war with Iran, the sabotage of more oil tankers underscores the increasingly dangerous situation in the Middle East as the Trump administration pursues its maximum pressure approach toward Iran, end quote. More on the U.S. and Iran with Professor Gerald Horn after headlines. U.S. wars, bombing, and the military-industrial complex eat up a majority of the discretionary national budget, and this fact was just one of the topics covered in a rally in front of the White House on Wednesday. As part of the Poor People's Campaign, the Reverend Liz Theo Harris told the crowd of hundreds that the war economy siphons away money for human needs. When our military spends 53 cents of every discretionary dollar, when our government spends it on the military and less than 15 cents on anti-poverty programs and health care and education combined, we must go down to the palace of the rulers who are making this a reality. And we must say to those rulers who are responsible for cutting health care, who are responsible for taking our kids away because of poverty, from taking kids away from their families because of unjust immigration. And we must say, take away our poverty, not our children. Yes. Take away our poverty, not our children. More voices from the rally later in the show. 
And meeting the needs of working Americans versus the needs of the rich is key to defining socialism, said Senator Bernie Sanders in a major address Wednesday at American University. Responding to Trump and corporate media attacks, Sanders described his vision of democratic socialism as completing the unfinished agenda of President Franklin Roosevelt, who, after implementing his New Deal for Americans during the 1930s, proposed a second Bill of Rights guaranteeing every American economic rights. In 1944, FDR proposed an economic Bill of Rights, but he died a year later and was never able to fulfill that vision. Our job, 75 years later, is to complete what Roosevelt started. And that is why today I am proposing a 21st century economic Bill of Rights. A Bill of Rights that establishes once and for all that every American, regardless of his or her income, is entitled to the right to a decent job that pays a living wage. The right to quality health care. The right to a complete education. The right to affordable housing. The right to a clean environment. And the right to a secure retirement. The devastating impact of the U.S. military on climate is the subject of a new study. Boston University professor Netta C. Crawford reveals in the report that from 2001 to 2017, the Pentagon generated at least 1.2 billion metric tons of greenhouse gases, exceeding the annual planet warming emissions of industrialized countries such as Portugal or Sweden. Published by the Cost of War Project at Brown University, the report says that the U.S. Department of Defense is, quote, the single largest consumer of energy in the U.S., and the world's single largest institutional consumer of petroleum. It adds, quote, absent any change in U.S. military fuel use policy, the fuel consumption of the U.S. military will necessarily continue to generate high levels of greenhouse gases. These greenhouse gases combined with other U.S. emissions will help guarantee the nightmare scenarios that the military predicts and that many climate scientists say are possible. And in D.C., climate activists rallied at the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee, protesting the committee's continued refusal to hold a presidential candidate debate focused solely on climate change. The Reverend Lennox Yearwood disputed the statement this week by DNC Chair Tom Perez that climate change is a special interest issue. There are many things that are going on that we could discuss, but the reason why climate change must be debated is because the reality is this. This issue is not only about equality, it is also about existence. And so we have to have a discussion, not only for us, but for future generations, because they will not have the liberty to debate this issue when their seas and their farms and their towns are underwater. That's why this moment is critical, and we must Finally, in culture and media, 
Cuban ambassador to the U.S., Jose Ramon Cabanas, told a gathering Tuesday night in Northeast D.C. that the Trump administration's recent ban on most U.S. tourism to Cuba was a reaction to the fact that more Americans are visiting the island and learning that contrary to the negative propaganda, that they actually like Cuba and the Cuban people. I can tell you, no matter what you listen, what you read on your newspapers, probably not all of them, but many of them, the majority of Americans, the majority of Cuban Americans, they support engagement with Cuba, respect for relationship with Cuba. They know about our differences, but they feel they can build a future. And we can build a future together in the region for the benefit of our, our two people. The Tuesday night program was sponsored by the Interreligious Foundation for Community Organization, Pastors for Peace, at the Plymouth Congregational United Church of Christ in Northeast D.C. Since 1992, Pastors for Peace has organized French shipment caravans of humanitarian aid to Cuba to resist the U.S. economic blockade of the island. Also coming up this weekend is Prince George's County's 2019 Juneteenth Celebration. That's Saturday, June 15, 2019, 12 to 5 p.m. at Watkins Regional Park. Also Saturday, June 15th is the opening reception for Plans to Prosper You, a free exhibit about the resilience of the black church and the struggle to stop the desecration of Moses Cemetery by the Montgomery County Housing Opportunities Commission. That's 6 to 9 p.m. at American University's Katzen Art Center. The exhibit will be open until August 11th. Also, the D.C. Jazz Festival is underway until Sunday, June 16th, and the Harlem Fine Arts Show is also at Howard University's Interdisciplinary Research Building until Sunday, June 16th. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, Gerald Horn on today's Hot and Cold Wars. Stay with us. is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, on Thursday, Trump administration officials immediately blamed Iran for two reported attacks on oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman. But Iran disputed it had anything to do with the attack, which ignited a Japanese-owned tanker. 
Meanwhile, peace activists and other experts said that the attacks could have been carried out by factions such as Israel or Saudi Arabia, which are trying to steer the United States into a war with Iran. Well, joining me to discuss this and other international news is on the grounds geopolitical analyst Professor Gerald Horn, author of more than three dozen books, including his newest, White Supremacy Confronted, about the country of South Africa. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. So let's start with these attacks in the Gulf of Oman and give us your take on what's happening. It's a very curious episode, the fact that the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, or as he's now called Abe Shinzo, had just arrived in Tehran, supposedly to try to mediate the conflict between the United States and Iran. And greeting him upon arrival is this alleged attack in the Gulf of Oman. It's also curious as well that the European Union, specifically Germany, France, and even Great Britain, are moving to try to circumvent the tightened U.S. sanctions against Iran by setting up a so-called special purpose vehicle that would allow them to trade directly with Iran and deliver the benefits that Iran thought it would get after it signed this anti-nuclear accord with President Obama. But what's perhaps even more striking is this repetitive nature of U.S. conflicts. What I'm suggesting is that the 44th U.S. president was elected in 2008 in reaction to the 43rd U.S. president's 2003 war against Iraq, and then the 44th U.S. president responded by launching a war against Libya in 2011. Then the 45th U.S. president got elected in 2016. Supposedly, he was going to stop this repetitive cycle of dragging the United States into foreign conflicts. Well, I heard Pompeo give his press conference where he accused Iran in this attack. And this is also coming at the end of the same week when he was caught, I guess, off mic vowing to push back against any type of success that Jeremy Corbyn might have uh, to be the new prime minister in London. And it's coming at the same week when there are these news reports about John Bolton possibly being on his way out, that he's overstepped his bounds one too many times and upstaged his boss in not implementing the policy that Trump wants to, to see implemented. So anyway, the foreign policy seems to be somewhat in disarray in the White House. Well, I don't think anyone's surprised by that in light of this latest fiasco with Mexico, where Mr. Trump supposedly negotiated this agreement, ending this cliffhanger of imposing 5% up to 25% tariffs on Mexico, disrupting supply chains two companies in the United States of America, and then the New York Times reports that actually there was nothing new in this agreement at all. And then there's the trade war with China, uh, which bids fair to be a disaster, not least for the U.S. economy. So the only good news in terms of what you just articulated is this allegation that Mr. Bolton may be on the way out. Let us hope so. Well, speaking of Trump, much of the corporate media seems to be obsessed with this the statement from Trump that he would accept foreign information from foreign governments about an opponent in an election and kind of equating that with either treason or something illegal or if not illegal, unethical. What's your take on that? Well, I think that the corporate media and particularly the liberal elite is reacting so strongly 
because I'm sure their memories are long enough to recall an era not long ago when they were bashing forces on the left for supposedly being too close to Moscow. I'm thinking of Paul Robeson, for example, whose career in North America was wrecked because of that allegation. W.E.B. Du Bois was put on trial, supposedly because of his ties to Moscow. And I think it's too much hypocrisy for the corporate media to accept the fact that now this U.S. president, apparently without any political damage, is claiming that he will accept dirt on his political opponents. Once again, Mr. Trump is breaking and circumventing all political norms and apparently is not going to pay a price for it. Well, the other news making a splash this week are these ongoing protests in Hong Kong. And I've had a chance to look at a little bit about what the alternative media is saying about them. But what's your take on what's happening with these protests against the new laws about extradition to mainland China? I have to say I'm taking a particular interest in these protests. You may recall I lived in Hong Kong about 20 years ago and wrote a book about Hong Kong and maintain a keen interest uh, in this former British colony. And what's striking is that the protesters are suggesting that they are in the streets in the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands because they fear that this new regulation from Beijing will lead to people being extradited from Hong Kong, a special administrative region of the People's Republic of China, to the mainland itself. The Beijing authorities, on the other hand, say that the only people who have anything to worry about are people accused of serious crimes, such as murder, rape, etc. In any case, another massive protest is slated for the next 48 hours. And what seems to be stacking up is that Hong Kong, which was a British colony beginning in the 1840s and did not revert to Chinese rule until 1997, is stacking up as a kind of new Berlin in the new Cold War. Recall that during the old Cold War, with the socialist camp, Berlin was a split city. Uh, That is to say, there was socialist East Berlin and there was non-socialist West Berlin. It was a site of tension, it was a seat of tension. And now Hong Kong seems to be playing that role with regard to this new Cold War. Recall that Hong Kong is right across the way from Shenzhen, which is a major industrial and financial center of the People's Republic of China. What's also remarkable is that the corporate media keeps acting as if uh, the people of Hong Kong were enjoying all of these democratic liberties before 1997 when China took over, but nobody ever voted to have Britain take over Hong Kong in the 1840s. And civil liberties and civil rights were routinely squashed by the British authorities during their long and glorious rule from 1840 to about 1997. In any case, I think we can look forward, I'm afraid to say, to more tension and more protests uh, in Hong Kong because the U.S. authorities see this as a major pressure point that can be wielded against the People's Republic of China. Well, I think the other thing about the story that is striking to me is the hypocrisy in terms of how the United States is covering it. Uh, I want to compare that to the coverage of the protests that broke out in Memphis, you know, after the shooting and killing of Brandon Weber, another black man shot and killed this week by police, I think U.S. Marshals. And there was a spontaneous 
eruption uh, within Memphis and all the coverage is about the, the how many police were injured in the protests and also not so much about the actual killing of this this man, Brandon Weber. But in terms of covering China, they're really just focusing on the number of crowds out and really taking a real interest. And you can tell sympathy for the protesters on their side of the argument, as opposed to really understanding the rage and the real, um, how tired Memphis is, like many urban areas of another one of their sons or daughters being mowed down uh, by the police. Well, I think what's even more remarkable is the fact that Memphis is on the back pages while Hong Kong is on the front page. And that tells you all you need to know about the hypocrisy of the corporate media. Well, I think that the last thing that we want to talk about in terms of international news is the visit by Poland's president to the White House. This another in these emerging right wing leaders coming to, I guess, pay fealty to their their international leader, Donald Trump. Well, this is another echo of the Cold War. I'm old enough to remember what was going on in 1989 when many of our friends on the left, and in fact a broad spectrum of U.S. political opinion, was engaged in cheerleading for the anti-communist forces led by the eventual Nobel laureate Lech Walesa, who were able to dislodge uh, the left from power in Warsaw. And now the predictable has happened. Not only is anti-Semitism on the upswing in Poland, but also right-wing nationalism. And also the upshot of this recent meeting with the Polish leadership in Washington is that more U.S. troops will be now sent to Poland to confront Russia, that the Polish leadership is thinking of naming a fort and military encampment after Donald J. Trump. Fort Trump is the name that they floated. And this is a threat to international peace and security. And I do think it's long past time for many of our friends on the left to think twice and think thrice about what they helped to effectuate when they helped as cheerleaders to bring these anti-communist and right-wing populists to power in Warsaw. And just to be clear with people, and this is because Poland is right on the border of Russia. Well, it's a major threat to Russia. And I should also say that natural gas is part of the equation because Polish homes routinely have been heated by Russian natural gas. The United States would like to steal that market uh, from Gazprom, the major Russian corporation. And I dare say that that's part of the deal, not only this new Fort Trump, but also a deal that will lead to Poland trying to break agreements with Russian natural gas producers and effectuating deals with U.S. natural gas producers. Okay, well, we'll certainly keep watching that story as well as many others. I've been joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. Nope. Nope. Can't hold us down. Nope. Nope. They can't hold me down.
can't hold me down, there's no gravity in my universe Those rules don't exist to me, you don't believe me, you can search Feeling bittersweet, now it's cavities in your tooth that hurts Cause it doesn't work when you're grabbing me, trying to pull me down The earth backstabbing me as I prove my worth If you bite in my style, then who was first? If you bite my dust, then who was first? Geek down, trying to act wild, don't make it worse I speak the truth when I spit, call it a naked verse St. John, when I spit, let me take you to church uh, Amen, amen, trying to intimidate me And you just amen And you dealing with an ill super saiyan With a wide vision and a game plan Call that full brain John Illa J. Yancey, that's my full name Grey bonds on steroids, that's my full swing And I'm out the park Ghetto superstar, spit stupid boss. Uh, yeah. Come here because the scripture says, go to the royal palace and deliver this message and say to the one on the throne or the one in the royal palace, this is what God says, attend to matters of justice, set things right between the people, rescue victims from the exploiters, stop taking advantage of the poor, the foreigner, the orphans and the widows and stop using your policies to murder people. There are a lot of things going on, but today is focused on that house because of what's emanating from there and because of what we have said is that this administration, this president, the enablers, and many of those who put themselves in religious garb to try to make something wrong right are under moral indictment. They have broken covenant with our deepest religious values and our deepest constitutional values and we must be conspicuous in the public square and render a public protest and not only the protest today but by us being here as as faith leaders and people of faith we are sounding the call for the whole nation and those who have moral conscience to also render their public protest to organize to register that is our focus here turn to your neighbor and say that is our focus and we're speaking in this park. And so at this time, I want to ask now that the Reverend Hannah Broom would come and talk about what we must challenge coming out of this White House relating to health care. And then the Reverend Dr. John Doher, the General Minister, President of the United Church Christ, to talk about what we must challenge coming out of this White House and its enablers as it relates to the pipeline. Will the two of them come at this time? Life is priceless, so health care should be affordable. Our American health care system could offer U.S. citizens just about everything they could ask for. Highly educated medical professionals, supported by the latest technology to the sick, and gleaming facilities. However, far too many of us as Americans, that system falls short in one critical area, access. The ability to afford quality care is crucial. The most successful part of the Affordable Care Act is built upon a simple idea. 
expansion, expand Medicaid. This would allow Medicaid to cover more children, more adults whose jobs pay too little for them to buy the market-based plans. The result is an insurance umbrella that added nearly 12 million people to the ranks of covered, and Medicaid now covers one out of every five Americans. Not only has that increased, it also has Medicaid expansion fills gaps in maternal health coverage leading to healthier mothers and babies. Medicaid expansion helps to reduce uninsured rate for women and mortality and infant mortality rates decrease. If this, if health is wealth, we are poverty stricken. Better health for women and childbearing. Life is priceless, so health care should be affordable. We got to understand that this is something that we all can do and we all need. Economic security increasingly goes hand in hand with health care affordability for American families. The Affordable Care Act makes health insurance affordable. It emphasizes preventive care. Many people can have it. Life is priceless, so health care should be affordable. That's Expansion right. of health care. Yes. You are beautiful. In 1987, the Commission for Racial Justice of the United Church of Christ under the leadership of its executive director, the Reverend Ben Chavis, authored the landmark document on environmental racism. It observed that wealthy, white-owned corporate conglomerates dumped their toxic waste in or near poor neighborhoods populated largely by communities of color. The report documented the utter disregard for both the health of the earth and the health of entire communities marginalized due to economic status and race. Their suffering went unnoticed and their status was utterly disregarded. So it comes as no surprise today that this administration, fueled and populated by the remnant of white power and white privilege, shows the same disdain for the earth and for poor people of color. They ignore all science that warms of pending climate disaster. They undo decades of work that produced historic and necessary agreements written to curb environmental catastrophe. This administration remains addicted to fossil fuels yes. and the corporate dollars generated by conglomerates which now line the pockets of their precious political packs that fund their re-election campaigns. Nowhere is addiction to fossil fuels, nowhere is the possessive investment in white power, and nowhere is the disregard for the resulting environmental racism more evident than in the ongoing insistence to build the Keystone XL pipeline. Even though courts have ordered and mandated the cessation of its construction, this administration continues to outmaneuver those courts through questionable legal tactics that include asking for 20 years of prison for those who dare to protest its production. Today, we, people of faith from all over the country, stand with the Dakota people's and the water rights protectors of Standing Rock and ask that we finally cease production of the pipeline for the sake of a dying planet. When it comes to the pending climate disaster this pipeline threatens and represents, we either solve this now or we watch as it will soon solve all other justice issues for us. Somebody say, Mr. President, this administration, your enablers, and even the chaplains of your injustice stop the violence, stop the policy violence.
We have now Imam Talib Abdul Rashid to come and talk about the attacks on the 14th Amendment and what this administration is doing and why we must challenge them. And then the Reverend Dr. Robin Tanner, who will come to talk about why we must challenge what this administration is doing in relationship to end child detention. We'll also be reminded this is being live streamed across the nation. So we're not just speaking to people here. We are calling people forward. It is time for people of conscience to come out of the sanctuaries, the synagogues, the mosques, and to come out of hiding and to be public and conspicuous in our moral indictment. Peace be unto you all. Salam. Shalom. Shalom. This is your brother, Imam Talib Abdul Rashid. I'm the president of the Muslim Alliance in North America. And we are here today with our brothers and sisters in faith. In the name of Almighty God, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We are here to call upon the God of justice. Yes, and we are here in one common prophetic voice to call to this president, to call to this White House, to call to this administration and its enablers to engage in acts of amendment and acts of atonement, not only for their policy violence, Reverend Barber, yes, but also for their policy sins, the policy sins of America yes, that go back to the birth of the nation. The policy sins of America, including those policies of genocide and enslavement. Yes, sir. We're here in one common prophetic voice in order to speak out against those who want to take our country back. For as long as there have been a United States of America, there have been those of us who have struggled to take the country forward and those who have struggled to take the country back. And so in the minds and the hearts of those struggling to take it forward, that resulted in the 13th and the 14th Amendments to the United States Constitution. And then, uh, over a century later, the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts. And there have been those who are trying to take the country back to a period of time beyond that or before that. And we oppose them with our hearts. We oppose them with our tongues. We oppose them with our hands. Yes, and we call upon the God of justice to empower the people here in America and throughout the world. We call to the White House and all of its inhabitants to repent for your evil designs of disempowerment of the poor. We call upon you to repent or be judged by the God of justice. Hear our prayers, O oh Lord. Amen. 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 Mr. President, you are a symptom of the sickness festering in this land. Growing white nationalism, the never-not-right covenant. We cannot build a healthy nation on broken bones. 
We gather this day to set ourselves anew from the infection of division and hate, the politicking that punishes the poor and cages children, that grinds those in the cogs of this capitalism as means to an end, as pathways to political gain. We refuse to let the tired, orphaned, widowed, the exiles of the policies we promulgated and permitted to break the backs of those on other shores and gathered at arbitrary borders. We refuse to let these, the homeless, the tempest tossed, to be caged, killed, and forgotten. That's right. We come to treat ourselves of this disease following a higher order, called by the soul of that lady at the shore, called by the prophets and the ancestors, the voice swell of justice to heal from the sickness sown in this land. We come to also treat the symptoms, Mr. President, to come and treat you and your death assistants that pollute our politicians to use children as pawns, make their mothers and fathers imprisoned witnesses to their wailing. We come to treat the symptoms of a disease that teaches that any child, parent, neighbor, once foreigner, now refugee, could ever be necessary sacrifices at the altar of this chattel theology. We demand an end to child detention, an end to family detention. We demand an end to family separation. We demand, Mr. President, that you attend to the patient of our democracy, the body of our common humanity, and the rot that your administration allows to fester. We have come this day to attend to the patient to attend to justice, stop the murdering. Attend to justice, stop the lying. Mr. President, attend to justice. Attend to justice. Attend to justice. The Reverend Jonathan Hartgrove will come now and Rabbi Esther Lederman will come together he will talk about, he will come down to talk about the 14th Amendment. She will come to talk again about what we must do to end child detention and the racist immigration attacks. Would you come and stand with him, Rabbi? Good to be with you today. We are here, as we know, because the covenant has been broken. And there are religious leaders across this land who are covering for the injustice. I'm here today as a southern preacher who knows something about how that cover-up has gone on for a long time in this country. For years in the South, people who look like me and talk like me read the Bible that I preach and told folks it was alright to own other people. There was another southern preacher in the middle of the 19th century, Robert Louis Dabney, who said we have to push the Bible argument continually and drive the abolitionists against the wall and force their position to look unchristian. And after that, there were people all through Jim Crow who not only normalized the oppression of other people, 
but made people believe that God had made it so. That's why Martin Luther King stood in the pulpit at Riverside Church and said, we need a revolution of values. That's right. That's right. Because values language has been co-opted. It's being used by this administration to execute all of the policy violence that we've named here today. But let's just be clear about the 14th Amendment. The proposal that we not grant access to the courts to every person in this country yes, and that sir. we not guarantee equal protection under the law, that proposal from this White House is an attempt to roll back a Reconstruction Amendment. That's right. That's right. That's right. And the preachers who are blessing that are reaching all the way back to the slaveholder religion to make people believe that's what God wants. We're here to say we need a revolution of values. Yes. We won't go back. We won't go back. You are listening to Faith Leaders rallying in front of the White House on Wednesday, June 12, 2019, as part of the Poor People's Campaign. This is On the Ground on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us. Nations and our people that been living here for thousands of years. Stand up. We've been fighting for our freedom since the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. Stand up. Like Geronimo, Sitting Bull, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, Leonard Peltier. Stand up. Now they poisoning the waters for our sons and our daughters, so we on the frontier. We won. One nation, one cause, one people, one tribe. Now it's us against the pipeline. Get on your feet for Stanley Rock, and we'll show you how strong we could be when we unify. To all my native people, recognize yourself, keep your head up. To all my tribal people, recognize yourself, keep your head up. To all my native people, to all the original people, to all my indigenous people, recognize yourself, keep your head up. Planet Earth, it's been spinning, we've been living and dying, but giving birth the first of many nations, celebrating them days when all that got made came after what got me. These days we cater to these internet memes, internet streams, it seems them streams aren't clean. We need the whole story seen, we're hassling before water has gasoline in it. Malcolm X moment, Martin Luther King with a dream and war boning, wounded knee plus Alcatraz dog on it, this is for the rock, with prayers we stand on it. Oh yeah, we playing on it, the earth, we camp on it, in a sweat lodge, singing our songs with grandfathers, heat rocks all in the spot, we splash on them with a beatbox from my boy B. Jam on it, said a prayer for the black snake killers, playing on the front lines, they you're the realest, stand for your people, stand for your family, stand with standing rock, stand for humanity. In the book of Jeremiah, we read, A cry is heard in Ramah, wailing, bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children, for they are no longer. God, I pray that we can love the child, of the widow, of the orphan, of the stranger, more than we love our walls. These United States of America were supposed to be built in, on an idea of freedom and an attitude of abundance. But we've become small and afraid, seeing scarcity everywhere we turn. But love is an abundant resource. Justice is an abundant resource. Love and justice never runs out. 
I've lost track of how many times we've spoken out against the moral crimes committed by this White House and this administration, against the most vulnerable in our midst, children escaping poverty and gang violence. But I'm not tired. That's right. We're not tired. We're not tired. We can do this every day until every child is released from Homestead. And that is a promise, Mr. President. Homestead is the largest shelter for migrant children in the country. Away from their guardians and loved ones, the children inside Homestead are detained indefinitely. Forced to wake up at 6 a.m., they follow prison-like schedules. They receive inadequate, unregulated education. And in recent weeks, this government has cut funding for English education, for critical outdoor play, and legal services. Comprehensive Health Services, this privately held profit-making company that runs the detention center, receives $750 per day per child, an incentive to detain the children for as long as possible. Homestead is no home for any child. That's right. That's right. Homestead must be shut down immediately, and the Office of Refugee Resettlement must not open similar emergency influx shelters in the future, like the one they just announced in Oklahoma, where they are planning on using a former Army fort, also used to intern Japanese Americans during World War II, as a shelter for these children. Shut it down! Children belong in schools and not in cages. The fifth commandment of the Hebrew Bible says, honor our mothers and fathers. This is not honor. This is not respect. Lady Liberty, you called us to call in your tired and your poor. Well, let's let them in with the gates of justice, mercy, and love. Give us the children yearning to breathe free. Let's say it to the nation and to this White House. This White House, this president, this administration, this administration, the Congress enablers, the, Congress enablers, the religious enablers, religious when, they engage, when they engage in systemic policy racism, voter suppression, suppression, attack on immigrants, attack on First Nations, when they pass policies that hurt the poor and the sick and the ecologically devastated when they push policies that push militarism and the war economy it's wrong it's immoral it's breaking two covenants the covenant with our deepest religious values and the covenant with our constitutional values it is constitutionally inconsistent morally indefensible economically insane and we will not stand down it is time for a prophetic conspicuous public protest and a moral indictment at this time we're going to ask laura Prochelta schultz senior government relations advocate for the network lobby of the catholic social justice to come again and re-emphasize health care to Rabbi Jonah Pressner, Director of Religious Action Center of Reform Judaism, to come and emphasize what they're doing as it relates to white nationalism and the census. And then the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris to come, to come who's the co-director of Kairos Center.
and the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign to come and talk about the real reality of what this administration and its enablers are doing as it relates to poverty. Would the three of you come at this time? Sisters and brothers, Jesus was a healer, curing the sick, giving sight to the blind. Healing was central to his mission. Network and the Catholic community believe that access to quality, affordable health care for all is a fundamental human right. It is a matter of life and death. We as a people have a choice. Ensure that everyone has care or subject people to a life of sickness, one of limited possibilities, one cut, shut, cut short by preventable disease. Our government should be working to expand coverage. We should be working to eliminate racial and economic disparities created by institutional racism. But instead, President Trump is engaged in a war on America's health care. He was so disappointed when Congress failed to repeal the Affordable Care Act that he has decided to take it now to the courts. Millions could lose coverage, and that is not it. Trump's new budget cuts $1 trillion from Medicare and $1.5 trillion from Medicaid. This is maddening, especially since he just gave $2 trillion in tax credits to the wealthiest corporations and to the richest people in this country. That is wrong. His administration is working with states to take away Medicaid care coverage from the vulnerable. This lie is as old as time itself. These changes will benefit the poor, they say, but we know Satan when we see it. The goal is to stigmatize those in poverty. The goal is to cut off their health care. And our people, especially children and especially those dealing with disabilities, are falling in the cracks. Proverbs 14.3 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. And my friends, this is utter contempt. We at Network are here to take a stand. We are here to say, not on our watch, Mr. President. You will not take our health care from our communities without a fight. And we, sir, have justice and righteousness on our side. Let's say amen. 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 Okay, family, let me ask you. Do you count? Yes. Do you have a name? Yes. Do you count? Yes. Do you have a name? Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I count. Neighbor, I count. And now tell them your name. William Barber. Because in numbers, God tells the children of Israel to take a census of the whole community, every family according to its ancestral household, listing every single name. Yes, sir. All the families, every name, each one with a unique story. We know the power of the census. It says we count. It says we exist. It says we are seen. It says we are here, and it says we matter. But this administration has approved the addition of an untested, dangerous question. You know what the question is, right? Are you a citizen? As they demonize and vilify the stranger, the immigrant, the migrant. And we know that the fear that is already coursing through vulnerable communities, those who are under-resourced, Latino, immigrant, communities of color, all now receding into the shadows. The Census Bureau itself knows that if they ask this question, 6.5 million people will be deterred from answering the census. Say 6.5 million. Imagine that a census 
an American census that erases 6.5 million human souls. Communities that are already under-resourced, whose voices are already silenced, will disappear even more deeply. But friends, the danger goes deeper. The moral crisis is more profound because this demonization of the immigrant, of the refugee, is a symptom of the continuing rise of white nationalism. Everybody say white. White. Nationalism. Nationalism. This we cannot tolerate because we know that bigoted rhetoric turns to racist policy. That's right. Let me say that again. Bigoted rhetoric turns to racist policy. And then people become dehumanized. And people enter churches and mosques and synagogues with guns. Those who have partisan interests are weaponizing anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and racism. And they are seeking to pit us one against the other. On behalf of my Jewish family that's here, I want to say to my Muslim family, to my Christian family, to all people of all faiths, we see you. We are with you. We are one nation under one God. In the face of this white supremacy, the systemic racism, we need each other more now than ever. Muslim, Christian, Jew, immigrant, native-born, and people of all races. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. I see you. I see you. I count you. I count you. I love you. I love you. Amen. Amen. This is our moral indictment. And the Bible is clear. We have to do this. And then God says God will move in mighty ways. Liz. Isaiah 10 reads, Doom to you who legislate evil that rob my destitute people of dignity, exploiting defenseless widows, taking advantage of homeless children. Micah 2 reads, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, he carries it out because it's in his power to do so, covets real estate developments and seizes them, houses and takes them, defrauds people of their homes, robs them of their inheritance. So these passages from the prophet Micah and Isaiah are not some distant admonitions at a time when there are 140 million poor people living in this country, when 43.5% of the U.S. population is in poverty or one storm, one health care crisis, one job loss, one natural disaster away from deep poverty. That's right. When 15 million cannot afford water. And the, worth it, and the world is made of two-thirds water. When four million people who turned on their taps this morning had poison coming out. When 62 million workers make less than a living wage. And when our military spends 53 cents of every discretionary dollar. When our government spends it on the military and less than 15 cents on anti-poverty programs and health care. 
and education combined. We must go down to the palace of the rulers who are making this a reality. And we must say to those rulers who are responsible for cutting health care, who are responsible for taking our kids away because of poverty, from taking kids away from their families because of unjust immigration. And we must say, take away our poverty, not our children. Yes. Take away our poverty, not our children. Yes. We can end poverty. Yes. And the Reverend Liz Theo Harris speaking in front of the White House on Wednesday. We'll have the last word on today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. Go to onthegroundshow.org to support us, work with us, and listen to all of our current and past shows. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On the Ground Show. And we are on iTunes and Google Play under the title WPFW On The Ground. A special thank you to our supporters on Patreon. The music we play this hour included Truth Don't Die by Fela Kuti, They Can't Hold Me Down by Robert Glasper and Miles Davis featuring Illa J, and Stand Up, Stand and Rock, hashtag No Dapple featuring Taboo. I'm Esther Averam. I'll be participating in the 2019 Juneteenth Celebration. Saturday, June 15th, 12 to 5 p.m. at Watkins Regional Park in Prince George's County, Maryland. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>